told her had therefore been no more than confirmation of an already existing suspicion. Yet Aroma had only been echoing what Tea Leaf had told her, and what Tea Leaf had told her was pure guesswork without a shred of evidence to support it. Thus, what started in everyone's mind as a suspicion, repetition very soon compounded into certainty. Yet, the ironical fact was that he, who by his past behaviour had so richly merited the reputation which had caused them to suspect him, was in fact totally innocent on the one occasion when everyone was most unshakably convinced of his guilt. Meanwhile, we have the, the scene with the handkerchiefs, right? The... Right, maybe the most iconic moment of that chapter. This, this feels like another kind of um, classic scene. Yeah, so Bayou is, is bedridden, and his thoughts are off and on uh, Dayu. And so he, yeah, he, he calls up one of his maids, Skybright, and um, asks her to go and call on Dayu and just, you know, ask how she's doing and just see how she is. Nothing much. And Skybright says, well, I can't really do that because I need some kind of message to take to her. I can't just go over and have a chat, you know. Um, and he can't think of anything for her to say. So he says she should give her a gift instead. And the gift that he settles on is a pair of old handkerchiefs, basically. Um, mm -hmm. Skybright quite correctly says um, if you give her this gift she'll probably perceive it as you mocking her and she'll get upset um, but Baoyu says no not to worry I think she'll understand yeah so this is the yeah this is the uh, the Ching Zhong Ching uh, the uh, the uh, the thought that counts the the thought that's emoted the thought within the thought uh, or the, the crystallization of this emotion in the uh the form of the handkerchief so the handkerchief is kind of a symbol right yeah uh it's like a real symbol which mm -hmm. is kind of interesting right um, um so so skybright goes over and brings these two old handkerchiefs uh and one of the one of dayu's maids is outside hanging out clothes and she directs Skybright inside. Um, the room is in almost total darkness. Um, <laughs> it's very recognizable. She's the, she's the kind of angsty teen lying in bed in the darkness, being miserable. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, and so Skybright tells her she has these handkerchiefs. Dayu initially thinks that they must be new ones that he received from somebody else. And she says, oh, no need, you know, it's okay. Give them to somebody else. I have plenty. Um, but Skybright says, no, they're actually old ones that he's he's given to you. Mm -hmm. And she's a mm -hmm. bit confused by this, but she tells her to, to put them down and, and be on her way. 
And so because they aren't um, uh, like a standard, you know, the, the issue has been before that uh, Bao Yu is bad at gifts. He never knows what kind of gift to give her. He's given her like the those terrible rosary beads from the Prince of uh, uh, Beijing. Yeah. Uh, he's, he's given her a few kind of uh, like sort of um, like failed gifts. Um, yeah, quite crappy ones, right? But these ones uh, are met with um, acceptance and uh, and a kind of uh, delight in like a, the sense that a mutual understanding has finally uh, been reached. Yeah. Um, so should we? Do you want to like pick apart the symbol, or is it too obvious? Or it also comes it also comes out in the uh, the poems that are written uh, on the on the handkerchief so it's kind of a question of how to um how to approach this well okay talk me through your understanding of the hang of the symbolism before before we okay, get into okay. the so um i would again frame it sort of in this um this realm of like meta communication um at the same time that it, it does seem to be the sense that uh you know the, the issue before was, you know, does he really understand what I'm thinking? Does she understand what, what you know, and, and vice versa, right? Um, and and this, this, like, this, like, difficulty in expressing uh, to a pair of mindsets that are so, uh, like, locked together at times that uh, it's like, it's when people talk at the same time. It's like, it's like a, a constant state of jinx. And so it's hard to even, like, uh, establish a rhythm and a, a call and response due to this like intense uh, mental connection uh, and sort of like symmetry, you know, it's like, it's almost like too symmetrical or something. Uh, but here in this moment, it seems to be uh, right. That, that, like it's almost as if like sometimes this moment uh, reveals how words aren't always necessary, how words themselves uh, can get in the way of like a, a more uh, direct and maybe more meaningful form of um, of meaning and, and and symbolic expression, right? Uh, at, at the same time that you know it's clear that he is thinking of her, right? And he knows that she you know feels for his pain, right? And so his tears are already her tears, and so he might as well you know, and so like you know his used handkerchief is her use handkerchief right it, they're, they're, the, the connection has already been made and so just by uh, by showing her like it's like you know you were here you know I, I, I cried these tears for you uh, these tears caused you to cry tears for me we already have this um, it gets into this logic of uh, kind of um, like exchange but exchange of like in infinite quantities right? And so it's like transcending the market logic of um, A for A, B for B, of, of, of a pure, like, uh, kind of um, finding the same. It's kind of like matching infinity with infinity rather than matching some, like, um, some piddling finite quality with another uh, piddling finite quality, that kind of thing, right? It's kind of like a, a, a transcendental uh, logic of transaction or something. I thought that there was, because there was a pair of handkerchiefs, you know, always things being in twos has a symbolic connection, I suppose, to, to you know, couples. Right, right. That's, that's um, also a good point. Yeah, I like that. And and so he's kind of maybe suggesting, like, the two of us are just like a, we're like a pair of old 
<laughs> we're a pair of old handkerchiefs, you know. We are not, yeah, these, like, grand tribute gifts um, concerned with, like, um, show and, like, all of the kind of uh, signals and, like, trappings of, yeah, like, court life or society or, or you know, any yeah. of that sort of thing. Um, Everyone else is concerned not only with appearances, but the appearances of appearances. They're, like, they're stuck in this, like, meta loop of... Uh, of like keeping up appearances uh whereas there it's the, the very opposite here's something even supposed to show it's almost it's almost uh like disgusting but because you know you're in this state of love and, and suddenly you know the the bounds uh the, the liminal bounds kind of like merge and fuse and, and suddenly you know there's, there's nothing disgusting between you you know that's why people like it's the whole idea of like a, a cruder example of this is like you know you know it's true love when they they hold your hair when you're throwing up after after Being drinking sick. too much yeah. the same kind of thing like <laughs> yeah if exactly. you exactly you've already overcome overcame these boundaries and they, they become superfluous and that that very superfluousness is kind of this like weird symbol of uh, of your connection that kind of thing yeah, definitely, definitely. I mean, I feel like the exchange of like old handkerchiefs between two people um, is definitely a sign of like intimacy in the in the kind of like emotional sense, right? You're so comfortable with each other, um, and this Although, symbolizes that. You know, I was going to say we we have seen uh, exchange, the exchange of handkerchiefs before between uh, Crimson and uh, Jiayun. Uh, but it's, it's interesting that that exchange was a little bit less, uh, a little bit more deceitful, right? It involved lying. There, there's some kind of like, uh, it's kind of like pretending like it wasn't intentional and then pretending like, that you also lost a handkerchief. You had to receive one in return. It had a kind of almost a coercive angle to it. Whereas this, um, this exchange seems much uh, like much more sort of like metaphysically sort of um yeah it's it's kind of fr uh, freely given in a way isn't satisfactory it? yeah you know it's it's kind of an interesting parallel to, to to be drawn there i think well she certainly sees the symbolic significance of these gifts and so she at once even though she was supposedly going to bed she at once is completely taken over with this this desire to write poems to express her feelings um mm -hmm. and so she writes on the handkerchiefs themselves uh, these three poems. Shall we have a quick discussion of them? Of them? Yeah, that, that's uh, that's let's give them a look. Yeah. So we have the original. We have uh, Hawks's uh, rhyming uh, rendering. I've also produced a kind of a straightforward, um, like more literal rendering, but we don't have to go through all of that. Um, maybe just kind of um, isolate some interesting symbols from each. Uh, the, the three poems are interrelated in a way that's kind of interesting, um, and, and they speak to some of these issues that we've um, we've discussed so far. How, how about I read the Hawks, uh, the first uh, poem? Yeah, go ahead. Seeing my idle tears, you ask me why these foolish drops fall from my teeming eye. The no, your gift, being by the merfolk made, in merman's currency must be repaid. Um, another great, uh, another great uh, rendering by Hawks, uh, our favorite translator. Um, <laughs> th there are some kind of interpretive decisions that are made, though. We should probably talk about that, though. Yeah, the um, the first two lines are pretty straightforward, aren't they? And the Hawks, I think, translation matches them pretty closely. You know, 
close enough, right? Yeah, it's the sense of the like, it's... almost like tears shed for whom, like f- foolishly, like futilely, something like that. Um, what in the, what in the original is uh, Kong, like in vain. Yeah. In vain, exactly. Um, yeah, yeah. Which is a, an image we've seen before. You know, what's the ever since even the first uh, the first chapter? You know, what's the point of um, this goes back to a lot of the first chapter themes of uh, what was the purpose of watering the the crimson pearl flower, uh, and what's the meaning? What's what's the point of becoming a mortal only to repay a life of tears? So we see the, uh, those images are, are reemerging with a vengeance uh, in these short poems. Uh, but as you said, the uh, I guess the the second two lines, the second couplet. It, it strays a little bit from it kind of brings out some implied meaning that isn't explicitly stated in the original um i, I guess i guess what, what hawks has rendered mermaid silk i guess that's technically that, that's pretty that's pretty close right um there's a question of um what the last line you know like what what exactly it means it's a weijun nada bushang bei I think uh, I think that that na is because uh, na meaning that and na meaning which uh, are often merged into a single character in in the Chinese here. I think it's supposed to be na like which, so almost like wh- how why here something like that. Yeah, I, I was kind of um, I, I was a little torn between um, like uh, interpreting that as meaning like um, what happened to you, what befell you. Uh, and also, but also, it, it seems it's also talking about this, um, this like um, transcendental economy, where you know she's uh, like Dayu in this imagery is receiving this um, this wonderful like uh, this like uh, measure basically of um, this like um, special uh, like you know what 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 Hawks has as. Um, the gift being by merfolk made in the original it's like it's literally like a kind of um like a piece of silk right so that's that's referring the gift is in particular this um these, these handkerchiefs and so like she's receiving that the, the handkerchief is kind of like uh the symbolic representation of of Bao Yu's receiving a punishment and her responding to that you know and, and feeling what he feels that's that's my kind of interpretation. As I read it, it's like the handkerchief is decorated literally just with this like fish pattern. Like you know, it's got like a yeah, it has like a nautical uh, or like marine pattern. It's almost like decorated somehow, or the pattern in some way resembles like uh, creatures of the sea. And like that's how the whole like merfolk merman thing creeps into the hawks translation. I, I guess that the parallelism that I'm trying to draw out is like. Because it's also parallel in terms of um, the characters, right? To draw a connection between the, the I, I guess in the original it's Chifu Jiao Shao, which Hawks. I, I'm gonna I, I would like uh, render that more literally as like a, like this measure of of mermaid silk, and then that's has to be uh, that's in parallel with um, Wei Jun Nada, and and I'll, I'll say in there like you know like. I had it as for my lord's lot, right? 
Um, and so the idea being like his, his lot, his fate, you know, that's like this kind of this measurable unit and a measure of silk is likewise, this like concrete measurable unit. And that's how, that's how I was kind of, um, that's kind of how I was, uh, like conceiving of the, of the parallelism because, because in this form, you know, the, the, the parallel, uh, like images is, is so, um, consistent and foregrounded, right? Um, but that, that's basically in keeping with with Hawks' interpretation. I guess he, um, I suppose maybe part of the reason why he's leaning into the, the merfolk imagery here is because obviously the sea is salty and as such is kind of associated with tears being salty, etc. You know, like, so there's, um, I don't know, it seemed to me like there was maybe just a very literal kind of association there as well. I guess that each of these, each of these poems is... Yeah, I, I mean... That's good. Yeah. I, I didn't think of that. Uh, I, I was thinking more in terms of some of the images later we see of the, 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 uh, Xiang Zhang, uh, the kind of the Shang river, um, and, which, which goes back to, you know, Dayu's occupying the, the, the Nyad's house, the, the Shashangguan, which I guess wouldn't be necessarily like a sea, it wouldn't be like salt water, <laughs> um, but it, it's. I, I think you, you might be onto something as well, right? I, I guess it's a question of uh, whether we're imagining river or uh, ocean. I I think that Xiang thing is maybe a um, a different illusion, uh, but we can okay. come on and talk about it uh, later. Shall we do? Shall we do number two? Yeah, that's yeah, that's number two. Okay, jeweled drops by day and secret sorrow shed, or in the nighttime in my wakeful bed lest sleeve or pillow they should spot or stain shall on these gifts shower down their salty rain again again it kind of it he has to has to display i think a remarkable level of flexibility in translation not to cleave too closely to the the uh, original um we see this um image in the first line of comparing tears to to pearls and to jades um, and that I think is a very recurrent sort of image, not just in these poems, but in, I think, in a lot of Chinese poetry generally. Um, yes, yeah. You know, you, you see that similarity. Um, I guess the one image that's kind of um, hidden here that I, I guess we should bring out is what Hawks has in the uh, the third line as less sleeve or pillow they should spot or stain. I guess you know it, that would be in the. He's basically. Uh, taking material from what's in the original in the fourth line. So he's kind of rearranging things a little bit. Uh, in, in the fourth line, it's ren ta dian dian yu ban ban. And the, the, I guess the dian dian and the, the ban ban, that seems to be a reference to the, um, the mythological origins of um, spotted bamboo along the, the Shangjiang region or the, the, the Shang River. So it's it's it can be either the region or the river, right? Um, and the idea being that this bamboo was spotted on account of uh, the tears of a uh, a mythological maiden. Um, I think that's I think we can trace that back to yeah some of the um, yeah the kind of it's it's like the mythological early history of China, um, specifically of this Shaoshang region. Uh, basically, what in pre-imperial times was the state of Chu, I guess that would be like Citron nowadays, 
and, and which is also associated with um, kind of the, the what was traditionally a kind of a southern Chinese culture, uh, and also with uh, the art of poetry, because that's the state of Chu was the uh, you know the, the the birthplace of you know the first named uh, Chinese poet uh, Chu Yuan. And so this is kind of this long uh, poetic tradition as well, which is again going to be associated with Dayu. And so this is all kind of in keeping with this um, kind of rich and rather, you know, uh, kind of almost ancient symbolic, you know, tradition. So, so in that second poem, the concern about the tears staining the sleeves or the, or the pillows um, is linked to that, you're saying. It's, it's because of the uh, this historical association with tears leaving streaks on the bamboo, you know. Um, and so in the same way that they leave these marks on the bamboo, they will leave marks on the on clothes or, 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 or bed sheets if they fall on them. So better that they fall on these old handkerchiefs. And also just tying within the story, there is a scene um, a couple of chapters back where Baoyu and Dayu are crying together and he has no handkerchief and so he uses his sleeves to wipe away his tears. And she, although she's upset with him, reaches out and gives him one of her handkerchiefs to use instead of instead of staining his um staining his clothes that way um and so that i guess also kind of harking back to that somehow but that's 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 really yeah i hadn't been thinking of that but that's an important parallel as well yeah and and so this question of the uh i guess like the tear stains right and and the significance of tear stains i i guess it's, it's interesting because there's a question of meaning and fate here and whether these tears are essential or futile uh, and whether they will have any, you know, whether they will make an impression on your beloved's heart and whether you want to make an impression, especially if it's going to be this kind of negative, this kind of indentation, as it were. Um, And so this uncertainty uh, appears here and also in the next poem where it's, it's kind of this, like, it's, 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 it's interesting. I, I, I think we'll see it actually. It's, let's maybe by way of tra- uh, transition. Let's um, let's consider the third poem now. Uh, yeah, why don't you read it aloud for us? So this is poem number three. Yet silk preserves, but ill, the naiad's tears. Each salty trace of them fast disappears. Only the speckled bamboo stems that grow. Outside the window still, her tear marks show. I'm going to give a, a more like literal reading, which we're going to see is very similar to the Hawks, but I, I think it's important to bring out um, kind of the, this uncertainty, right? So my like, my like more direct rendering of the, these lines would read as follow, as follows. Colored thread unsuited for accepting surface top pearls. The Shang River's archaic traces already indistinct. Before my window, a thousand bamboo poles, uncertain whether by fragrant tears stained or not. Uh, and it's, a, it's kind of interesting that yeah, the question is like, it gets back to this like this weird, uh, like in between this liminal space between uh, like reality and, and uh, illusion, you know, uh, history and mythology kind of thing. Like, like what, what really happened with these uh, bamboo poles? Were they 
stained by tears? And were they stained by mythological tears? Or were they stained by Dayu's tears? Or is there no, is there no distinction to be made because Dayu herself is this like uh, mythological form, you know? And so I, I think all three of these poems, there's a, a heavy emphasis on emptiness, on things being in vain, on things being unseen, unspoken, uh, unobserved, indistinct, you know, uh, tears shed in the shadows, you know, stealthily kind of thing. So there's a consistent emphasis on these like negative uh, kind of images. So let's let's just quickly um, talk about the um, the story of the tears and the bamboo. So the the myth is basically that in the in the dawn of kind of Chinese prehistory, you have these different like mythological emperors. One of them is called Yao, and one of them, his successor, is called Shun. Two of Yao's daughters, E Huang and mm -hmm. Nu Ying, were like spouses or concubines, I suppose, of Shun. So the old emperor, the two daughters of the old emperor, married the new emperor, basically. And I think while campaigning in the southwest, the new emperor, Shun, died. And E Huang and Nu Ying, his, his wives, they were so overcome with sorrow that they sat down by the Xiang River and wept for him. And the streaks left by their tears are the reason, as you say, for these, this particular pattern of like streaky bamboo being associated with that region. And so that's what the story is here. It's like this visual symbol of, you know, the the highest sorrow, a kind of like mythical level of, of sorrow. And so that's what kind of really shines through in this poem for me, definitely. Right. Um, and so those the those two daughters of Yao uh then become associated with uh and, and you know so Yao gives them to Shun, who's responsible for dealing with floods, for dealing with water, for kind of controlling it and routing it. Right. You can kind of interpret that uh in various ways. Uh, at the same time that, you know, it's kind of interesting that um, we kind of, we, we went over it pretty quickly a moment ago, but uh, Lady Wong gave uh, Aroma two vials, right? Uh, and we didn't talk about what they were vials of, but it occurs to me that, um, I wonder if those two vials actually kind of represent like a kind of rarefied essence uh, to be taken, to be compared with these two, um, these two river goddesses, these two daughters of, of Yao, especially because, um, well, maybe, it, maybe it's a, a kind of, uh, but uh, e Huang is, her name means something like, uh, like beautiful and uh, like radiant, right? One of the, the uh, one of the vials that was given is actually, it's actually called e Huang. Although it's a different, um, it's a different e, it's actually, um, it was interesting. One of them is the essence of cassia flower. The other is the essence of roses, right? I, I wonder if you could if you could associate uh, uh, new ing with uh, kind of like the essence of roses, like if ing in terms of like radiance. Uh, it's also interesting that they were um, these uh, these bottles were imperial bottles, and they were they had the imperial what Hawks has as a yellow label. But actually, it's it's literally it's um it's a goose 
yellow, right? Which is literally Huang. And so I wonder if the, I wonder if that's like just a coincidence or whether there's kind of um some kind of foreshadowing there, uh, kind of a pair, some kind of parallel symbolism going on here. That's something that occurred to me just just as we were talking right now. But I guess back to like the like what what I was trying to like the point I was trying to make would be there's really a question of um I I think the question of well who stained the bamboo it's kind of like the question of what's the purpose of suffering even if it's suffering for uh you know in love love as suffering that kind of like maybe that kind of a, a Buddhist um sort of um realm of meaning maybe. I wonder here whether here to me it seems like she's saying. I've cried all of these tears already, but yet the bamboo outside remains like unmarked, unstained. And so even despite all of her sorrow and suffering to date, it somehow like pales in comparison to that felt by Huang and Yuying. I thought that maybe it was, yeah. That's yeah. one way to interpret it, right? Or, you know, or it's already stained. And how do you stain something that's already stained? It's kind of like, a, like, what's the point of this reduplicative uh, gesture. At the same time that, you know, uh, Bao Yu's being able to recognize, you know, the, that they're, you know, that they're the struggle, you know, and, and, and the search for meaning. It's kind of like, you know, um, finding meaning in a shared sense of meaninglessness. It's all, maybe that's a too existential read, but you, you see kind of the, the general, the gist of that kind of, uh, and it, it sure feels, uh, to me, to my mind, it feels so much more authentic than uh, like the the kind of the familial, like quasi Confucian sort of uh, the game that the other uh, like everyone's playing a game, you know. But but this game seems more sincere and meaningful than the one being played by uh, uh, characters like Aroma and Bao Chai in this chapter. So, having written these poems, Dayu becomes aware that she's she's feeling quite warm. She goes to look in the mirror and sees that her face is brighter than the peach flower's hue. And um, she doesn't really realise that she may be falling ill. But she um, she stops writing her poems and goes to bed. And that's where we leave her. Do you have any final any final thoughts on the poems before we, before we leave them be? Uh, not so much on the poems, but just for the... I think it's significant that, you know, that maybe this is uh, part of the tragedy of their relationship, uh, of... of Bao Yu and Dai Yu's relationship that uh, like their like moment of recognition is also a moment of potential, you know, like uh, of Dai Yu's um, succumbing to illness, you know. Yeah, it's so fleeting. Yeah, exactly. So in the meantime, um, Bao Chai has left and she has gone to see her mother and brother. Mm. And by this point, she's fairly convinced that Shuapan is at least respon- partly responsible for the beating that's befallen Bao Yu. And um, so when Shuapan returns from being, I guess, out and enjoying himself, the topic of conversation is Bao Yu's recent misfortune. Um, and he, quite innocently enough, asks, you know, what it's all about, what the reason is for, um, <laughs> you know, how it came to be that Bao Yu was so badly beaten by his father. But his mother and sister, assuming that he was partly responsible and knows that he was partly responsible, is almost kind of saying this in in like mockery. And this is very clear from his mother's response. You know, she um, <laughs> in the Hawks, she says, shameless villain, 
How can you have the face to ask such a question? You know very well it was all you're doing. And I guess, you know, it's it's a it's a sign of uh, of Baochai's sort of um, social sophistication that she she makes a fairly valid point that she says to uh, Shripan, it doesn't really matter whether you actually did this or not, because the very fact that everyone believes it to be true makes it, in a sense, like socially real. Yeah, I'm kind of um, rephrasing, the, but that's that's a general sentiment, which is sort of like uh, a deep insight that I, I think all of us actually have a difficulty like accepting, right? Like, especially when you when one feels like personally aggrieved that, that you know some kind of accusation was false or you know the fact of the matter is that they're like there it's all accusate all language is false there's always going to be this like sort of um this residual um and, and it's just a, a question of whether you uh whether whether one is uh, like adult enough to accept like the reality of this like of this of these beliefs you know it doesn't really matter if they're uh, whether like the, the the thing in itself is out there it's the the belief it, the belief has a life of its own yeah um and you have to just sort of accept that and that's kind of a hard thing especially for like younger people i think to accept because it's, it's i think we like it's just like human nature maybe in this historical moment it where like you know the very so much so many things are unclear that you like it, it's it's hard not to almost like uh, fetishistically uh, attach oneself to things that seem you know like like absolutely true that's the kind of the cartesian um like uh, conceit you know like i well, I, I don't i don't know but like this is i can have this foundation this foundation of like knowledge of self-knowledge uh and, and bao chai is just throwing that all to the wind and she's just like no you have to deal with the the reality of um of collective belief even if it's not true everyone thinks it's true and you have to own this even though you have no role in it. I guess it's this sort of um, what goes around comes around kind of thing. Right. You know, he's such a bad character that even where he is completely innocent in this case, it's almost a kind of payback for the times when he was, when he was guilty but not punished, you know? So, yeah, rather than the, the boy who cries wolf, it's the wolf who <laughs> eats... The boy or something yeah, yeah something like that right <laughs> except this time <laughs> this time he did not right he makes this very funny comment which i i I'd, um i think we talked about before he makes this very funny comment where he says <laughs> so if everyone said i killed someone would you believe them um <laughs> which which made me laugh because i mean the first time we meet him in chapter three or maybe chapter four, he has just uh, had someone killed. Yeah, like um. basically, he basically <laughs> did kill somebody. Like it just yeah. Uh, I-, I thought this had really big like Tony Soprano energy. <laughs> yeah, like, so spot there's on, a few moments it? where he's like accused of being a criminal, like Tony Soprano, and, and he and, and he gets like really indignant. Like, yeah, how can you think I'm a criminal? Like, yeah. it's like it's like he's surprised by this reality, and like or or like. It's true, but you can't say it. It's yeah. the same kind of this weird, um, yeah, this, like kind of attempt to police, uh, like the, the the bounds of what's like, uh, like stated and unstated. Yeah. You shouldn't and say just, it. Like, the, the very fact true. of stating something has this weird effect uh, on, yeah. on this reality. Um, 
anyway, he throws in a, a, a few cruel barbs while he's at it. I mean, he really gets, he's a bit drunk at this point, and he really gets in a rage. You know, he says, first of all, mm -hmm. he wants to go and find the person who's been making up these lies about him and beat them to death. And then, well, if everyone's going to blame me for causing Bayou's injuries in the first place, I might as well go and kill him myself. And then the criticism will be justified, you know? Right. And um, then he also has a go at um, Bao Chai when she tries to intervene. And he, he deliberately kind of needles her about the um, about her relationship with Bao Yu, you know? The fact that she has this gold locket and he has his jade pendant and they're kind of matching in that way. And her mother has been telling, you know, anyone who will listen that this is kind of fated, you know? That, that she is fated to marry someone who has a kind of matching piece of jewellery. So he basically accuses Balchai of, of being upset with him, not for any, mm -hmm. you know, reasonable, not, not on any reasonable basis, but because, um, because she has a kind of interest of her own in pursuing Balyu as a romantic partner, I suppose. Um, so he's kind of saying things himself. Since everyone is saying what uh, shouldn't be said directly, he's like also uh, indulging in the moment by uh, like directly kind of um, sticking his finger in this sensitive um, subject, especially for Bao Chai. I guess that's the kind of the gist of their inner 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 action. Um, although I guess that's the that's again that's the second uh, line in the, the the title couplet, and so I guess there is again this parallelism. Uh, occurring in this chapter where this can be compared to um the the earlier interactions in various ways i i guess in, in a way it's interesting that uh both uh bao yu and uh Shripan are subjected to false accusations in a sense so they think they kind of they have something to actually uh commiserate over in a way <laughs> Yeah, I mean, in that title, they don't expressly identify Shuapan as the one who's subject of undeserved rebukes. They just use this character, Gurga. And Chuan, which is the verb here. Exactly, is, yeah. yeah. It can be as much like an exhortation as a criticism. Um, and Baoyu certainly has been the subject of that, you know, of, of, of exhortations from Aroma and from Baochai to, to mend his ways and that he is ultimately the one at fault for his father's beating. When, I suppose, if you think about it, it's a it's a mistake inside a mistake that that kind of led to it. Right, right. So why why would he be? Yeah, why would Bao Yu be uh, persuaded either? Um, yeah, it, it's it's just kind of this like he's impervious to this in his heart of hearts. Just like in Shripan's heart of hearts, he knows he is um, not you know, you know not guilty for these these transgressions. Um, but you know, it's it's not exactly the same, right? Yeah. Uh, so th there's both the, this this um this parallel, but also this kind of dynamic contrast. Um, so I'd say overall, this chapter is interesting. The way it's constructed, you see um, the kind of the, the the dynamics between these characters uh, becomes clear in in a kind of I, I almost imagine like a like a con like maybe there's a, a constellation, right? And, and like you can imagine. Maybe the center of the uh, might be Bao Yu, uh, or, or just the garden. But you, and, and so like you wait for the perfect moment for the different planets, so you can see all the planets. Uh, it's kind of like a 
like a, a good perspective on a uh, on a like a uh, a moving target on a kind of a, a moving system. So there's, I guess, just one final interaction in the chapter before we wrap up, um, which is, so Balchai leaves having been insulted by her brother, and the following morning, she sees, uh, she passes Dayu in the garden briefly, but they don't really stop to talk. But as she passes, I think Dayu can see that she would have been crying. And yeah, she makes she makes this like kind of barbed comment. Um, in the Hawks, it's, don't make yourself ill, cuz. Even a cistern full of tears won't heal the smart of a beating. So like, I guess the idea being that, well, I'm not sure exactly. It's ambiguous for sure. It's, it's ambiguous, isn't it? Is she saying that whereas Dayu's own tears are, are worth something? Um, mean something to value. Valchai's mean nothing, and so it's so much wasted effort. Is she kind of crowing triumphantly in that way, or or what? How exactly did you interpret that that I statement? Mean, I suppose. Yeah, it, it seems as if again, it's this question of um, when it comes to like social interaction. How do you how do you establish equivalences? You know, like when when the uh, things being compared aren't objects but they're subjects. Uh, and so like, there's no, maybe it is kind of partly, um, she's saying to, uh, Balchai, like, don't worry, you know, like, or like, believe me, uh, crying isn't going to help this situation. Uh, but, or, but maybe it is also this kind of the sense of the, you know, what you're doing is merely a kind of like, it's like quantitative, um, measurable action. You know, it's, it's like kind of like a labor of tears rather than something more, unnatural and, and potentially like transcendental right maybe that, that'd be one way to to interpret it in in none of her poems at least is i guess the duration of the tears is emphasized but never the quantity right oh uh, yeah you're right you're right so something about putting a physical quantity on this yeah it's vulgar right it's like it's like it's like saying yeah. it's the same idea like to give like you know like how much is your child worth to you you know like oh like a Twelve million dollars. It's it's incredibly uh, <laughs> it's incredibly uh, like it's it's a social faux pas, but it's also just like you know a, a kind of a it's degrading, it's dehumanizing in a way, right? But it's also like a kind of um, it's also a fact of reality. This is the issue when you have like a like it's it's really vulgar to put a price on a human life, but we do it every day in terms of various risk assessment assessment in terms of uh, you know. The, the payouts of life insurance. Um, so this is a kind of like a, uh, a central inescapable contradiction to, I, I think, modern society. Early, maybe. Well, I mean, like two stories on that front, like one more lighthearted is um, I was, when I was much younger, I was on holiday in Morocco with, uh, with my family and like another, some other, another family that we're friends with. And there's um, a habit that some men there seem to have, which is when they see a beautiful woman, they cry out the amount of camels that they would offer in exchange for her. Oh, no. Um, and so um, my friend, who I think was about 16 at the time, a man saw her and at once cried out 2,000 camels. And her dad <laughs> stopped to speculate that if you considered the price of one camel to be maybe 50 US dollars, then 2,000 camels would be a million dollars, 
And actually, when you put it that way, <laughs> you know. <laughs> anyway, unsurprisingly, my friend was not at all happy at the prospect of being sold at all for any price. But the other thing is, you know, in the UK, when you have some kind of wrongful death, um, you know, if you cause somebody's death by negligence and you're taken to court over it, there are lots of different like losses associated with it. But I think the the one for like um, usually the one for like the pain and sadness associated with death is I think a fixed figure, and I think it's about eleven thousand um, pounds, which is that yeah, it's like a it's it's a difficult like you're basically trying to quantify uh, like the quality of life. It's this weird um, intersection between quantity and quality. Um, yeah, it's called a statutory bereavement award, basically. Um, and I think it's now £15,120, um, which is very weird to me. Like, Right. Um, <laughs> I, I mean... It's such a strange. Imagine that being your job—that you're the person who puts. Um, yeah, yeah. It, it seems like you should, you should. It's like you should be the executioner. You should like wear a like some kind of like cloak when you're deciding the number because you're you're doing this like almost like um like metaphysically uh like uncouth act or something, right? You're like you're executing. You're making a determination, right? And every determination is this kind of like uh, metaphysical violence or something. That's how it feels. You know, this reminds me of a lot, a lot of the discussion in the late David Graeber's um, uh, kind of like um, most famous work, uh, Debt, the first five thousand years, and, and he goes into this issue of how, yeah, the connection between um, sort of yeah, this like the the quantification of quality. And the connection historically with different forms of um, of violence, uh, and sort of the reaction to that violence. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, yeah, it really is usually in the case of like some kind of like deep uh, transgression, whether it's like violence or rape, that suddenly you know these numbers uh, come out, and suddenly you need to have a hard figure to represent the amount of suffering that was caused, and that has to be paid back, right? Either with more suffering or with uh, its monetary equivalent, right? And so it is this sort of this um, like dark uh, social alchemy that uh, gets um, represented in in kind of the in the fine print of uh, like historical social order orders, right? And so maybe we see a little bit of that here in this scene where like you know like you know has Pao Chai been you know like been uh rendered using the uh like the 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 right cosmic denomination let's say yeah so i guess we, we didn't really get your opening impression so what's your what's your final conclusion <laughs> I, I do think that this is um the beating and the this chapter they do seem to we seem to be definitely entering like a shift in the in the narrative it's it's mutating and taking a new form. Um, everyone's been t talking in, in recent chapters about how, you know, the kids are growing up, you know, they're becoming young adults. And it certainly feels like the, yeah, themes are maybe more, more adult content is more, the things that are kind of happening to them, the way they're behaving is, is maybe more kind of grown up. Um, and so I guess we'll sort of see that continue in coming chapters. Yeah, yeah, the, 
the, the dialectic is um, it is advancing at a feverish pace, and so we have more uh, folds of of meaning and signification uh, awaiting us. <laughs> yeah. So I guess next chapter we have chapter thirty-five. Uh, Sulky silver tastes some lotus leaf soup, and golden oriole knots a flower patterned fringe. Uh, so we're going to see how that relates to um, to what we just saw. We'll, we'll see. Uh, maybe we'll see Balchai's reaction to Dayu's um, oblique remark. So there's a lot to talk about. Um, Thanks again for listening. This has been another installation of Rereading the Stone. I want to remind everyone, as always, to uh, we love um, commentary, feedback. Be sure to uh, rate us on uh, your favorite podcast app. That, that kind of improves our standing in the algorithm so more people can hear us. Always got to game the algorithm, guys. You got to, yeah. That's, that's Again, the algorithm, that's the, uh, the, the where quality meets quantity in our... Uh, in our uh, digitally mediated age. And so be sure to do that. Check us out on uh, Twitter at uh, Rereading Stone. We also have a Facebook page, facebook.com slash rereading the stone. Uh, so there's lots of ways to get in touch. Uh, we'd love to hear from you. Uh, and I guess until next time, uh, uh, bye-bye. Bye-bye.